And bear with me, since we got people that weren't here last week, I might do just a brief review of where we were after we do the, I'll just kind of do the intro, intro again. All right, Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put, on, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found, and they began to make merry. So last week we pointed out that, yeah, this is, this is a great story for a, for a big purpose. I mean, there's, a, a big, there's, there's bigger things in this story about the father bringing, letting the son come back and how the younger son can be jealous and how are we supposed to act when people come into the fold of God and how God accepts us and loves us. But I also said we, sometimes we've got to focus on the smaller points of the story. So the series that we're working on right now is focusing on the things that the father gave to the son. He gave him a robe, he gave him a ring, and he gave him sandals for his feet. So just a quick review for last week. Uh, if you guys want to jot down, if people who weren't here, if you didn't have a chance to listen to it, if you want to jot down the references that I made, we, were, we looked at Genesis 41, verse 41 through 44. We looked at Esther, verse, or chapter 8, verse 8. And basically, what we were looking at those chapters was to signify that a ring represents authority. So one of the key points from last week is the children of God who have come to the Father, repented and accepted his gift, and have been adopted into his family. The Father gives us authority to walk out our lives. We take our authority and go forward with it. And one of the other big points was that, so since the ring represents authority, there's a lot of things that we can give our ring away to. We can give it away to anger. We can give it away to sin. We can give it away to chasing after things like money cars, whatever we do besides following what God's plan is for us. So my point there was you got to keep your ring. Don't give it away to those things. Stay focused on what God's, what God's given you. So, sorry, I'm trying to find my place here. All right, so we talked about the ring. Now we're going to work on the shoes because we're going to save the most important thing for last, which is the robe. And we'll, we'll bring that in next week. So last week, I just kind of let you sit in and listen to Scripture and maybe devise what the ring was for yourself. Today, I'm just going to spoil it and tell you. That in the Scripture, I think shoes represent your rights. Okay? Taking off your shoes was giving up your rights. Getting shoes back or putting them back on was receiving rights or getting rights back. So if we go to Ruth chapter 4, verse 7 i got so many tabs, it's going to be hard for me to find, but there it is. So just after Judges in the Old Testament, Ruth chapter 4, verse 7. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee, and so drew off his shoe. They would take off their shoe and give it to their neighbor if there was some type of a 
sacrifice, some types of giving involved. If the neighbor was taking anything from him, especially if he was taking everything from him. So this particular story is of the kinsman redeemer. So if you don't know, like in that time, um, if Jay was my brother and I died, or Jay died, works both ways. But your brother dies, and you were responsible to take your brother in. Okay? You would take in your brother's family and provide for them. Wife, kids, everybody would come into your house and you'd take care of them. So we want to see this actually play out in the Bible. We can go to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 7 through 10. Again, that's Deuteronomy 25, verse 7. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gates under the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother's name, and in the name in Israel, and he will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him, and if he stand to it and say, I like not take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, and loose his shoe from his foot, and spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house, and the name shall be called in Israel the house of him that, has, that hath his shoe loosed. So she gets to rip off his shoe and spit in his face. And then if you add insult to injury, his name has actually literally been changed to the house of him who has his sandal pulled off, if we want to kind of put it in today's plain English. So you can see that the removal of the sandal is a sign of disrespect. Now, imagine if you're get your name changed to this, and you want to go to a bank. Let's see, we're going to go to the bank of Tel Aviv, and we're going to open up a bank account, right? The banker's going to ask you what your name is. What's your first name? The. What's your last name? Off. Well, we might need a little bit more information than that, dude. <laughs> All right, fine. My name is the house of him who had a sandal pulled off. So now you are forever in public, shamed, because your shoe's been removed, because you refuse to do the things that God pointed you to do. So now we'll go to Exodus 3, verse, sorry, sorry, chapter 3, verse 5. So Exodus 3, 5. So here we've got Moses coming to see the Lord. So the Lord says, and he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now I'm going to challenge you that, well, we can take this literally, that we think that Moses was just standing on holy ground. And that's what most people say, that God was having him, having him remove his sandals because of the ground. But I don't think God had him remove his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Okay? What, what God was really trying to communicate to Moses was this. You want to come talk to me, lay your rights down. Because when you come talk to me, I'm the one who's in charge. Take off your shoes, get rid of your, give me your rights, I'm in charge, not you. You come in here to listen to me. So yes, while we are commanded by, commanded to come boldly in the presence of God because of Jesus' sacrifice, at the same time, we have to have fear and trepidation in our hearts when we come boldly to the Father. Okay? When we go talk to the Father, our rights don't exist because he's in charge. We have to lay down our rights to speak to God. You want to scoot over to Joshua chapter 5. So that one's right before Judges. We're going to start in verse 13. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord, I'm in the wrong chapter, I'm sorry. 
That's chapter 3. Put my sticker in the wrong place. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Aren't thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to earth. He did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And Joshua did so. so if we go on into the next chapter, we actually find out that this is Jer- I mean, Joshua talking to, to God. So just like Moses, he was commanded to take off his shoe. Now he's in the presence of God, and God is in charge. So when we pray, sometimes we ask for things, right? Say, can I have this, or can I have that? Right? What does God say? No. (laughs) He says, no. You're either asking the wrong question, or it's not what he has in mind for you. We've got to submit to whatever his plan is, and not rely on what our own thoughts are. So we need to remember that God is not here to take sides. He's here to take over. He's here to exercise his plan. That's why he said to Joshua, you want to take over, you need to remove, if you want me to take over, you've got to remove your rights. You have no rights here. You're going to listen to what I say. And then obviously we know that in the next chapter, God does give them the answer. They tell him to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times. It's kind of funny because my kids were watching VeggieTales this morning, and that was one of the episodes that came up, a little pea sitting on a wall. <laughs> all the vegetables marching around the wall and they're haranguing them as they're walking around it's pretty funny pretty funny episode so I'm going to attest that sandals in scripture represent right represents rights okay symbolize when you take them off you're giving away your rights and when you put them back on or get them back on you're getting your rights back so if we if we go back to our scripture for today Significant when the father gives him back his sandal because he's giving back his rights of being a son. Okay? And if we have repented and come back into the right relationship with God, we have been given the shoes of sonship and daughtership, and we have special rights with God. Okay? Just like my kids. Just like Jay, like your kids. Anybody who's a father, even mothers, but for mostly I'm speaking to the fathers, your kids have special rights to you that nobody else has. They have access to you that nobody else has. Not your friends, not your employees, not your coworkers. Nobody has the access to you that your kids have. Anything they need, you're there to provide for them. Anytime they come to you, you drop what you're doing and you are whatever they need, right? But just like my kids, as children of God, we have special access to the Heavenly Father. And I'm guilty of this, and a lot of people are guilty of this. A lot of times we walk around and we don't, we don't act like we have special privileges with him. Okay? I'm just a sinner. Right? I'm just a sinner. No, you're not. If you're a saved child of God, you are no longer a sinner. You maybe were a sinner, and you might still sin, But that's not your identity. Your identity is not a sinner. Your sinner is a saved child of God, okay? Because your identity of who you are is not as a sinner. Sinners can't approach the throne of God, 
right? Sinners may pray, but does God, I mean, may God, may God may listen to their prayers, but he doesn't hear them. They can't boldly approach the throne of God. They haven't accepted the Savior that's, that covers them and makes them pure and no longer a sinner. So if we go back to the Old Testament, you've got the high priest. Once a year, he's going in to the Holy of Holies to go get repentance, go get uh, repentance of sin, or sorry, the, somebody's probably got a better word for it, but he's basically going to get forgiveness of sins for the entire nation of Israel, right? What do they do? Fred, and I know you know, you've taught on this quite a few times, they tie a rope around his feet, right? He walks in there, so if he doesn't go in completely absolved of sin, God strikes him dead. If they're going to follow him in, they're going to strike them dead too. So they jerk on that rope and they pull him out. So we are not sinners. We cannot approach God as sinners. Just like the high priest can't go into the Holy of Holies, we can't approach God as sinners. So please remind yourself, you are not a sinner. You may have once been, but you are no longer. Shed blood of Christ has removed that title from your name. I'm just going to say this again. If you were a sinner, you wouldn't have access to God. But by the grace of the Lord Jesus' sacrifice, we have special access to our Heavenly Father. Now, can anyone guess what kind of shoes slaves wore back in, back in those times? Good job. They did not. You're right. They did not get shoes. They worked barefoot. Okay? For them to be given shoes would mean they have some kind of rights. They worked barefoot because they were slaves and servants. So we have our rights given to us through the shed blood of Christ. We are not slaves or servants of God. He's given us our shoes. He's given us our rights to approach him, to go to him, ask him for the things that we think we need, but we just know that he's going to give us what his plan is for us. Always better to come in with his plan in mind, and I'm... Haven't been so diligent in the past, but been studying daily now, and I feel much better about when I go to pray to God that I'm actually praying for what his will is for me, and that he answers my prayers. So you guys are probably wondering, what rights do we actually have? Well, I'm sure that's a very long, exhaustive list. We could sit here for a couple hours and probably write all those things down, the rights that God, is good, that God gives us. But the biggest thing that God gives us is his provision and presence. It's the umbrella that everything else comes under. Okay, talking about my kids again, right? Our kids. Everything that is worthy of me being their father, it all comes back to my presence and provision as a father. Okay? I can't protect them if they're not in my presence. I can't lead them if they're not in my presence. I can't disciple them if they're not in my presence. Most likely, they aren't going to eat very well if they're not in my presence. I'm not providing for them. They're not going to have shelter if I'm not providing. They're not going to be taken care of if I'm not there to take care of them. But we all know that this is a big problem in the U.S. now, is fatherless homes. Because they don't have the presence or the provision of their fathers to take care of them, relying on the government just leads to even more worse things. 
Sorry, I don't want to get too political here or too whatever, but we know it's an issue. So God's presence, just like a father's presence, makes you special, just like it makes our kids special. Your presence makes them feel special. It makes them actually special. God's presence makes us special. In every situation, God has your back. He's always with you, and you're never alone. His presence is part of what makes you so special. Daniel, God's presence makes you special. Arlene, God's presence makes you special. Carter, God's presence makes you special. Julie, God's presence makes you special. Fred, God's provision makes you special. And everybody else. Sorry if I left anybody out. And you listen on the radio. John Lynch, God's presence makes you special. He sent my father-in-law sent me a note last week that he listened. He was surprised to hear Pastor Kevin. But I, I will not take that title. I'm sorry. No, sir. <laughs> so as we're battling through life, we have the presence and provision of God. We are never alone. He's put the sandal on our foot, and he's by our side. He puts his arms around us, and he's always there. doesn't matter what you're going through. Now, I'm going to focus on the men for a minute. Like I said, this is coming from my men's group. And Cody, uh, sorry if I'm stealing this from you, but it was a great teaching, so I figured it was good to share. All right, men. Do we like being taken care of? You think we do? Uh, maybe sometimes. But when we, have a pro- when, we, when we have a problem, do we seek other people out? Most men. Do we, do we look for other people to help us? No. We squirm around. We're like, no, I can do it. I got it. Don't worry about it. I'm not going to make the phone call. Got a flat tire on the road. Forgot my jack. Uh, I'll figure something out, right? But we have to let the Father take the lead and allow his presence and provision to take over. The safest place you can be is in God's presence. We just say, nah, we got it, Dad. How often do we go into our prayer and actually really get real with God and just lay it all out there and tell them you need help with all this stuff. Instead of just praying for everybody else, praying for the same things we pray for every day, when do we actually lay it out in front of him about this is what we're struggling with? I mean, I know we know he, we, I know he knows it. But just like he says, unless you ask for it, I mean, he'll probably do something about it, but how long? I mean, is it going to take longer? Is it going to be the way? Is it going to make it easier or harder? You've got to get down and dirty with God. You've got to get on your knees, and you have to ask him what you want and tell him what's going wrong. Okay? Because when we just tell him, no, we got it, he says, no. You're mine, and I've got you. So you might as well just take the embracing, right? Enjoy it while you got it. I wish my dad was still around because I feel I've come a lot, for, a lot further along since he's passed, and I think we would have had a lot more to talk about nowadays than we did in the past. But 
I've got, I got a better, I got another father, and I can see him again when I get there. But, so I just want to put this point across. The father is always waiting for us to accept his presence and provision. Even when we're running, he's just standing there waiting. Just like me as a parent. My kid runs off and does something bad. Yes, am I going to punish him? Of course I am. But I'm waiting for them to come back. And it burdens my heart when they don't. I don't want to get into specifics because I don't want to embarrass my son, but we are having some issues with him. And I'm not a man that cries very often, but last night I cried with my son because to see the state that he is in is devastating to me. And I hope in his heart that he was crying for the right reasons, not because he had to drag all the toys out of his room and all his blankets and all the stuff he's out of his room last night. I hope that's not the reason why he was crying. It may be the catalyst that got him to start crying, but I certainly hope that's not what he was thinking about while he was crying. Just like when we run from God, I am certain that he is up in heaven sobbing about all the lost children that he doesn't have. And that when we run away from him as his children that have his presence and provision if we want it, and we run away from him, he is especially sad for us. So, kind of ran off, off of my notes there, which is kind of great for a change, but <laughs> don't even know if I need to bring this up, but I mean, we've got the highest rates of stress and anxiety and depression and suicide in history going on. And why? Because we have men and rem- women running away from the presence of God. I can't tell you how much happier and how much in a better place I am since I've actually started studying daily, I've started getting involved with men of Christ to build me up every day, not just to build me up, but to hold me accountable for my life and something, and just admitting who I am and what I'm doing wrong and just spending time with God every day. I was never good at that. And if you're not, I suggest you figure out a way to do it. We do a soap journal every day. So basically you read a scripture, you write an observation, you write your application for your life, and you write a prayer. And there's a lot of times that I don't want to do it. Four o'clock in the morning... I don't want to sit there and read my Bible and write my soap journal. I want to turn the TV on before I go to the gym. But it's something that I've gotten in the habit of doing, and, and I think it's, it's made my life better for it. So we can jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be in verse 4. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye be grieved, but ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. So one of the rights we have is we have the access to God's arsenal. Okay? A lot of times we want to just battle things in the flesh. We just want to go fight it out. Use our strengths and our knowledge and our provisions to go battle things that need to be battled in the spirit. No matter how much I push, no matter how much I do, no matter how much I study, I mean, I sorry, I don't want to say study because studying helps us to know what God wants for us, but no matter how much I read self-help books from somebody else, no matter, no matter how many podcasts I listen to for somebody building me up and cheering me up and telling me how great I am, there's just certain things you cannot do without battling it with God. Okay? You cannot legislate yourself to righteousness. You will always find your way back to sin. 
Without God's help, we will always find our way back to sin. Okay? The weapons of the flesh do nothing against sin. Drinkers, smokers, gamblers, people who are addicted to watching pornography. I mean, not even just addiction, but just those things that you do that are leading you away from God. I don't want to stand up here and be the righteous police. I won't tell you what you can't watch. But my wife and I are very cautious about what we watch with our kids. We watch a movie that's PG and they start saying hell and, and God in the wrong term. We just were like, do we really want to keep watching this? Do we turn it off? And I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. I apologize, but we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Or is there not a 416? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Is it? Ah, there it is. Sorry. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So have anybody had time of need in the last 24 hours? Or if you haven't in the last 24 hours, it's the last 46 hours, 48 hours. I was in time of need this morning. I was definitely in time of need last night. But we have to approach God's throne in confidence to receive help. We're only asking for prayer in church. We're only asking in prayer on a little group, on our little Facebook group of our church friends. Okay? We're not approaching the throne of God in times of need. We're missing out. God is sitting and waiting for us to come to him. He's waiting for us to approach the throne to receive his presence and his provision. Okay? It always seems so much more bold when I write it down. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm going to do a little quick review of my last, for the people that weren't here, I'm just going to run back to my last page of last week because I want to make this point again. So we got... One main point, for a couple main points from last week. For the men, what is stopping you from being the leader, pastor, and protector of your household? Okay? What is stopping you from what God has called you to accomplish? And I want you to hold tight of your ring the authority that God has given you to walk out your life. And our key points from this, key point from this week is to approach God's throne in confidence. And seek out his provision and purpose for our life. Sorry. Seek out his per- provision and presence for us. With the ring, we're using our authority to look for our purpose. With the sandals, we're putting on our shoes, we're getting our rights from God, but we need to seek out his provision and his presence. Anybody have anything to add? Amen.